Hello, everybody. I'm Keith Gallinelli. I wanted to welcome you to this first in a series of podcasts with Frank Gallinelli about real estate investing. Now, you may not know me, but you probably already encountered my father, Frank. He is the author of the best-selling book, What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and 36 Other Key Financial Measures. It's already in its third edition now. He's also the founder of Real Data Software, which publishes analysis models for investors and developers. He's taught real estate classes. He's a professor at the uh, Columbia University Graduate School for Real Estate Investment and Finance for more than a decade. And if any of his former students are watching this right now, I am sure he would like to hear from you and see what you've been up to in the recent years. He's also been working on a series of online video courses about real estate and real estate investing. And so there's a lot of things that he's, he knows about real estate, and we really wanted to kind of pick his brain a bit. So, Frank, Dad, you have a, <laughs> something in particular that you wanted to uh, discuss today, so I'm going to turn it on over to you. Okay. Well, thank you, Keith. Thanks for the introduction, and thanks for hosting this. Yeah, I'm sure that the folks who've read my books and taken my courses use my company's real data software, they all know that I'm kind of a, a numbers guy. You know, I'm kind of sort of the, the quant nerd sort of person who likes to deal with metrics and, and analysis and that sort of thing. But, you know, I also hear a lot of people ask a very more general kind of bigger picture question of uh, how do I get started in real estate investing? So I did want to do something different today, something that's kind of out of, out of character for me and, and talk about how to get started in real estate and, and using my own personal experience as kind of the, the vehicle to explain this. Because you know, what I did way back when, uh, I don't think was all that unusual, all that special, but it may serve as sort of a, a seed starter for people who want to get uh, into real estate investing. So that's where I'd like to take us today. Okay, well, that sounds good. So I guess, you know, this is actually kind of interesting for me as well to hear the history because we're going to go back to the beginning of it. Now, you started investing in the 1960s and you weren't really a real estate investor. You didn't come from a lot of money. Um, you were working as a teacher. And so I think that maybe this is a good point to kind of just start from the very beginning. How did you get started with real estate investing? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there right now that are kind of in a similar position. You know, they may be working, uh, they've started paying off their student loans, they've saved up some cash, and they're trying to think, okay, what can I do with this cash? Is it a good idea to put it into the stock market? Should I start investing in cryptocurrency, which may not be the best <laughs> idea? Or, or what about real estate? Is that an option for me? Okay, well... Thanks. So you've hit on kind of all the all the, the the key key buzzwords here. I must correct you on one thing, though. It wasn't until the seventies. You're making me even older than I already feel like. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, it was the it was the seventies that 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 all of this began. I will go in, back. In my defense, the, in my defense, I was not there in the sixties or just becoming around in the seventies. So let me let me deal with that very issue. Okay, so uh, back in the beginning. <laughs> Uh, your mom and I were both teachers. Uh, she taught uh, Spanish. I taught uh, math and English. We had a little Cape Cod house in, uh, in Meriden, and everything was going just fine until one day she said to me, I'm expecting. Guess what she was expecting? That you. would be me. <laughs> yeah, that would be you. So I can blame you for most of what happened from that point on, at least in, in regard to into uh, uh, regard to my real estate investing career here. And the reason I say that is because as soon as we realized that you were on the way, uh, we had this nice little 
Cape Cod house, as I told you, but we're looking at now going from two paychecks and two mouths to feed to one paycheck and three mouths to feed. And even though our mortgage was some, you know, ridiculous number, what's ridiculous today was something like a, you know, 140 some odd dollars without that second paycheck. And hers actually was the, the bigger of the two. We weren't going to be able to deal with this. So we needed a plan B. Okay. So serendipity. One day, a fellow teacher, a friend of mine, says, you know, I know a guy who wants to sell uh, a big three-family house in New Haven. Well, we didn't know anything about being landlords or, you know, uh, rental property or that kind of stuff. But three-family house, New Haven, said, okay, let's think about this. And and the reason it wasn't a totally alien uh, proposition is because, well, New Haven was a familiar place to us. Uh, Your mom went to college there, Albertus Magnus. I went to college there, Yale. We lived there uh, for the first year or so of of our marriage. And my job, my teaching job, was in New Haven. So I said, this is a little bit of an adventure, but okay, let's give this a try. So we bought it and we moved into it. So my first tip to potential newbies in real estate investing is consider the possibility of buying a multifamily house and actually living in it. Okay. That's a way perhaps to get yourself started. I think that it's important, you know, you're, you're investing in an area that you knew well, that you had a lot of connections to, but even going back a little bit before that, you know, you mentioned that you didn't really have enough money to pay the mortgage. How did you actually come up with the money to start and get that initial investment off the ground? Because just buying a house seems like a wonderful thing, but if you don't have the money to begin with, how do you, how do you get started with that? Well, for that for that house there, uh, with a little family help and selling our other little house, we were managed to get ourselves into the multifamily. Okay, but you know, now I'm getting interested in real estate, and I want to see if there is perhaps uh, more that we can do, and that's where we kind of got into you know serendipity number two uh, after the uh, after the original. Uh, a good fortune with being able to, you know, find this the solution to our immediate problem. Uh, we uh, uh, we encountered another friend who apparently, you know, had I must have talked a lot about this kind of stuff because he said, "Okay, I want to talk to you about investing in real estate." And uh, uh, he he said, "You know, uh, I've got some." some cash. I've got some capital I could invest. What I don't have is time. He was a professional. He, was in a, he had a, you know, a medical practice. Uh, I had time, but no cash because I was a teacher. So I was out on the, you know, out by, uh, uh, by, uh, you know, two thirty in the afternoon. So we decided that we would form a partnership. And so there's my tip for beginners. Number two, maybe you can form a partnership. Now, the one that I formed with, with my friend here was I contributed what was now my, you know, incipient expertise, if you will. I was learning a little bit about how to how to operate a a a, 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 a real estate a rental property. Um, I had learned uh, uh, I'd learned, for example, that uh, uh, you want to really do the most you can in terms of maintenance all the time because you can't really expect your tenants to take good care of a property if you don't take good care of a property. So that was, that's one of the lessons I learned. 
Uh, I also found the transition into being a landlord not that bad because I discovered that this game was kind of a surprise, but I discovered that people who are real hell raisers really don't want to live in the apartment right above the landlord. So that kind of gave us a little bit of an ease in, if you will, to the process of landlording because we didn't get, you know, real crazies uh, that we had, <laughs> had to deal with uh, uh, there. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of getting into uh, uh, into uh, uh, a rhythm, if you will, here, learning it. And so when I got involved with uh, with my partner who could put up some cash and I could put up some expertise, that looked like a process that could work. Now, so my, my, my tip for newbies number two is perhaps get into a partnership, but you could do exactly the reverse of the partnership that I got into. Uh, I was providing what was presumably some expertise, and he was providing some, some cash. Now, maybe you're in a situation where you have some cash, but you don't really know what you're doing. Partner up with somebody who does know what they're doing. You provide the seed money and let somebody else, you know, put in the expertise, and you put your heads together, and now you begin to form uh, a, you know, a viable uh, way of doing things. So now that you've got a partner, you've got one property, um, you are also working in real estate part-time as well, and you started seeing some properties and kind of finding other opportunities. So did you stop with the one property or did you keep going or? Well, that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go with this, with this conversation because no, we didn't stop there. Uh, uh, we really didn't have a plan when we started, but we bought this one property and it was a fixer-upper. So we fixer-upper did it. Uh, we fixed it. <laughs> And uh, uh, I, I came up with what I thought was a really clever and original idea. And I was maybe only half right. I might have been clever. I might be able to take credit for the idea being, you know, clever. But I've, I found out later it was by no means original. In fact, I found out just recently that it even somebody's even given it a name. Uh, what we did from that point on is something called B. R, 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 R. I think I got the right number of R's. B followed by four R's. Okay. <laughs> so like, this it sounds like something cold. You know, are you looking for properties in the, the far northern uh, provinces of Canada, or is this just uh, is it a is an acronym for something? Yeah, it's, an, it's an, yeah, it's a it's an acronym. So let me see if I can let me see if I can parse that out for you. Uh, so what we did, not knowing that this was a thing already was to follow this process. And the purpose of the process was to build a, for, a portfolio of cash flowing properties. Okay. And so that's my, that's my tip number three. If you get into it, maybe don't stop with just the first property, but if you're looking to long-term, uh, you know, building of wealth and, 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 and doing something with real estate that actually has a, a, a meaningful effect on your, on your, uh, on your future, on your life, uh, Think about ways that you can build a portfolio, and apparently this has been done by a lot more people than 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 myself. And as I said, it wasn't wasn't even original uh, with uh, with uh, with my partner and me, even though we we kind of thought it was. So your investment strategy is B R R R R B followed by far four R's. Four, so four R's, yeah. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> why don't we just go through each one of them because I think it's important. It is kind of a stepwise process. So the first one is the B, which means buy. So can you explain a little bit what you mean by buy? Well, yeah, you got to start someplace. So if you're going to uh, build a portfolio of properties, you got to start by buying one. So you're going to buy the first one, okay? As we did, my partner and I, when we bought 
that uh, that that small multifamily house. And and by the way, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, you don't have to do multifamily houses. Okay. Uh, in fact, from what I understand, most people who follow this BRRR thingy, they do single family houses. So that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly okay. fine. And for many people, that may be easier, more familiar. Yeah. And so what are your criteria? It seems like you have to have a criteria when you're going to be buying something. Do you have anything to look for in a property um, that you think would be important for somebody that's just getting into this? Yeah, there's there's probably two key things. Number one is that uh, it's got room for improvement, that the neighborhood, the comps, if you will, all indicate, all suggest to you that there is a higher level of value than the price at which you can buy this property. Okay, so this property has to be, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, held down by its condition or its 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 obsolescence or whatever, so that you can improve it. The second thing is that it has to be eminently rentable. People need to uh, you have to find a property that where people are going to want to rent in this neighborhood. So uh, there needs to be a demand for for living in this neighborhood, whether it's living as a homeowner or living as a as a renter. Uh, so those are the things that you have to look for, uh, key things that you need to look for when you're selecting the property to buy to satisfy the first step in this in this process. So you did you did mention that you're going to be buying this and holding it. So this is we're kind of talking a little bit here. We're not flipping the property, correct? That's correct. Yeah, we're, this is not this is not. Uh, uh, I mean, you can make money flipping. There's a lot of ways you can make money in real estate, and that's one of them. But this, that's not what we're doing here. We're buying to build a portfolio of cash flowing properties. Okay, great. Okay, so that's the, the buy. So you found a property, you realize you can improve it, you realize you can rent it, and then you're going to go on and you're going to have to do something to it. And so right. what is the second R? The second R is repair. Okay, you found a property that needs fixing up or needs to be modernized. So the second phase of this process is to repair the property. And it's very closely tied to that first uh, phase, uh, the, the buy phase, because uh, how much you pay for the property, how much you're willing to pay for the property, is very closely linked to the cost of repairing. Now, there's some conventional wisdom uh, among people who do this sort of thing all the time. And that conventional wisdom is this. And although I didn't, I, I promised I wasn't going to get deep in the weeds on numbers. Here's a number I got to use, okay? 70%. The amount that you spend to purchase and to repair the property, those two amounts combined, should not exceed 70% of what you think the property is going to be worth when you're all done fixing it up. Okay? So that, that, that later value, they even have a name for it, ARV, after repair value. Okay, so so you want to buy a property where what you pay for the property plus what you pay to fix it up isn't going to exceed 70% of what it's ultimately going to be worth. But but keep in mind now that that doesn't mean that you have to pay 70%. Uh, a purchase price that's going to make 70% your actual number. If you can get the property for less, by all means. Don't be shy at all about driving a hard bargain here. Got to tell you that when my partner and I uh, bought the properties that we did, 
we didn't get you know all all you know emotional about uh, you know I I love this thing and I I need to have it. No, I can recall at least at least one case where uh, we left our offer on the table for six months, and we wouldn't budge on what we were willing to pay for that property until the seller finally came back and said, "All right, okay, I'll give it to you for that." Actually, for you know, I want five hundred dollars more than than your your offer. He said, "Okay, fine." But yeah. in other words, we held out for a price that we thought was going to be one that would make the deal work. And so, uh, you need to keep in mind that when you're doing these repairs, that uh, that you really can't exceed uh, uh, a, a sensible purchase price while you're uh, selecting a property. And speaking of repairs, also. Uh, you know, the amount of time that you take to make repairs is money out of your pocket because it's rent you can't collect. So you should have trusted contractors already lined up before you get involved in any of this stuff. You should have people that you can call on and you know that they're ready and willing to, you know, to march on in and, 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 and do the stuff you need to do as soon as you're ready to do the stuff you need to do. Yeah, from the repair side of things, what do you find are the most commonly... Uh, what are the things that need repair or rehab the most when you see a property? It's pretty much the same kind of stuff you see if you were to buy a single family house to live in yourself. It's the bathrooms and kitchens that, that grab people's attention uh, immediately. Um, uh, refinishing wood floors. I'm, I'm thinking of all things that we actually did. And one more thing that we did, uh, uh, on, on at least one of maybe a couple, uh, we resided the outside. I can recall one house that had this this really ancient asbestos shingle siding and mm -hmm. you know we did final siding on it and okay. it gave it a whole new life all right and so that's kind of the outwardly visible things but what about the mechanicals on a house yeah you can't ignore those that's for sure uh, it's, those are not sexy repairs i mean you know and, and new furnace that you know that doesn't that doesn't there's no dancing in the street because uh, you just did uh, a, a new furnace but do keep in mind that since you're not flipping this property and you're going to continue to own it that if the if the mechanicals need to be addressed, you should address them because if you don't spend it, you know, as part of your repair, then you're going to be spending it as part of your maintenance later on. So uh, you you know you don't want things that are falling apart because you're the guy's going to have to fix them later anyway. So you know, uh, be realistic in terms of what needs to be fixed. Okay, so we've bought the property, we've repaired it, rehabbed it. The third R is rent. And so let's get into the rent. Yeah. Well, that was your that was your purpose in, 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 in getting this property and getting this to be a cash flowing property. So you want to get rent. And again, you know, in the in the uh, in the spirit of don't be shy, uh, you know, find out what you think you can rent it for and maybe even ask for a little bit more than that. You can always come down. Um, but, uh, you, you know, if it's really a desirable property, then, yeah, then folks are going to be probably willing to pay. So, you know, uh, Rent the property out. Look for good and responsible tenants. You know, do your homework. It's the same uh, uh, as you know someone would do to you if they were if they were loaning you money. They would want to know that you have a good credit history, that you have a job, and so on. So, so you know, be particular. Okay. Now, maybe taking one step back. You know, you've bought your property, you've repaired it, you've rehabbed it. What's the kind of the decision making point? Like, do I flip the property or do I hold it for cash flow? What, what are what are the reasons that you would kind of go one way or the other? Yeah, that's a very good question, actually. Um, 
your purpose in doing this BRRR business, of course, is to buy more and more properties. And as we're going to talk about in just a second, one of the ways of doing that is to get capital, extract capital out of your existing properties. But of course, another way of extracting capital out of an existing property is to sell it. Okay. Um, and so you, you, you certainly can uh, do that. And if you think you have an opportunity to make a home run when you sell it, then by all means do. Do keep in mind, though, that uh, selling it, uh, you may incur capital gains taxes. So you may not get as much uh, of the proceeds out of it uh, as, you, uh, as you hope to. So uh, if you're going to make a, you know, if it's going to be a real home run, there's going to be a lot of cash coming out of it and you don't, you know, and the, and the capital gains tax doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt that much, then, uh, you know, sell it and get the cash and, and uh, uh, you don't buy yourself some more properties. But okay. um, if your idea is to build uh, a portfolio uh, by keeping the properties, you have an ongoing cash flow. So you had, not, you had a cash flow with the first one. You have more cash flow if you have two of them. You have even more cash flow if you have three, four, five, and so on to, to pretty soon where your properties are providing you know, a regular uh, sustainable income for you. So that can be a good reason to, uh, to, to stick with it. Okay. Well, and I think that leads us into the next R, which is refinance. So you've got this property, you've repaired it, you're renting it, you've got tenants in there and it's generating cash. And now that you want to, you want to find a way to try to get some cash out of that property, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, one of the reasons that you were, you were being uh, as, 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 as fussy as you were in terms of how much uh, you were going to be uh, uh, willing to spend for the property and, and and what your budget was for the for the repairs is that you want to leave uh, enough room on that refi so that you're going to extract cash out of the property, cash that's now available for you to invest in more property. That really is the whole point. So when you're looking for a, a new mortgage, um, you know, obviously, whenever you look for a mortgage, you're, you're concerned about what the interest rate's going to be. But the other thing to be concerned about is the loan to value requirement for the uh, uh, for qualifying for the loan, you know, it might be worth uh, spending a little bit more on the on the interest if you can extract even more cash out of the property, because presumably you're going to earn a bigger return on the money you get out than it's costing you in the interest that you're spending. Uh, one other thing to uh, to kind of be aware of with the virtually all lenders, uh, there's what they call seasoning alone you probably won't be able to refinance the loan uh, until you've held it, your existing loan, until you've held that loan for at least six months. So you know, just kind of uh, be aware of that. Uh, yeah, it may be a little bit uh, uh, of time uh, that you need to wait before you can go to the next step. I used, always used to say, you know, it took me more than 30 years to become an overnight success. So you may take a little bit of time to, to, to build up this, uh, this, uh, uh, this portfolio. Okay, good. Well, that's that's good because it's going to get us to our last R, which is to start the whole process all over again and repeat yourself, correct? Repeat. Rinse and repeat. You got it right. So uh, the, the idea is that this is a loop. You're going to do, you've got the money out now. You're going to go back to, you know, back to, the, to the beginning of the process and uh, you're going to buy another property and then you're going to repair it and then you're going to rent it and refinance it. 
and then you're going to buy another property and you're going to rent it and repair it and refinance it and so on. And uh, hopefully what you've done after, uh, after a while is you've built up a nice little, a nice little uh, portfolio, a nice little nest egg of properties. And, uh, uh, and you know, that may work for you, but I do want to, I do want to point out one thing, which I probably should have said right at the beginning. And that is there is not one size fits all technique for becoming a real estate investor. Maybe this works for you, okay? Or maybe some parts of this work for you. But just as you pointed out when you asked about selling it instead of, you know, uh, uh, refinancing it and buying another one, there may be other other things that you can do in terms of real estate investing. But what I've uh, tried to do by giving you these suggestions is to give you a couple of tips. The, uh, the business about moving into a multifamily uh, and, and actually buying one and living in one, uh, getting involved with partners, uh, building a portfolio, a portfolio like this. These are all things that may work for you and may address the issue of where do I get started. So I, I hope this has been helpful to uh, uh, to some of our uh, folks out there who have, you know, before they get uh, involved in doing the metrics and the analysis and all the rest of the things that that you know that I you do as as part of my regular thing uh, with our with my courses, my software, my books and all the rest that maybe getting this kind of bigger picture of, you know, where can I go to take the first step to get started? So I hope it's been helpful. So like you didn't stop just with residential either, right? You, you started working on commercial properties too. Right. And that's something I want to talk about in our next podcast, because, you know, what did I do? How did I do it? Why did I do it? And how has it worked out? So that's a that's a story, as I say, for another day. And I hope we can do another podcast. I hope you're willing to host me yet again, where I can wax poetic on uh, on, on what I did, how I did it, and, and how it's all worked out. Well, that's great. And if anybody that's listening to your podcast today, if they want to get in touch with you, can they do that? They can, indeed. Uh, there are any of a number of ways I can be I can be tracked down. Uh, uh, I don't like putting email addresses out on anything public because that that fills my already overflowing spam box. But you can still send me an email if you go to our uh, uh, company website, realdata.com, and uh, and go under the uh, the support tab. You'll see a contact us, and so there's a contact box there where you can send me a message with your email. I'll get it and I'll respond to you. You can also find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. So, you know, I'm all over the place on social media, too. So, uh, I, I, you know, I welcome, I welcome hearing from you. I welcome hear, uh, hearing your questions. Uh, I'm always happy to, uh, to help out when I can. And uh, so if you have questions, feel free. All right, great. Well, thanks for sharing with us today. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to hearing the next part of the podcast and the commercial properties, because I know that also can be very lucrative as well. And, uh, well, thank you for sharing today. Well, thank you for hosting the case. And talk to you next time. All right. Thank you very much.